let's move into Galatians. Uh, the reason I tell you that is because I want you to be free, and we're in a series called I Am Free. In the book of Galatians, we introduced it last week. We talked about what I believe is a theme verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, then do not no longer be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And so we're talking about the freedom that Jesus has purchased for you. And so this week we're going to go back and actually begin in chapter 1. And it starts like this. It says, Paul, Paul's the author, Paul an apostle, apostle means sent one, Paul an apostle sent not from men, nor by a man. Can you say that with me? Sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Not from men, nor by man. As I was pondering this phrase this week, a scene from one of my favorite movies of all time came to mind. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Okay, anyone seen, if you've seen any of the Lord of the Rings, just wave at me real quick. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's most of you. You're going to be able to track it. Okay, here's the next question. Anyone read the book by J.R.R. Tolkien? Oh my, we have some scholars in the house. That's amazing. So Return of the King is the, the third um, installment of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And in it, there's this epic battle scene where the armies of men are coming to face the hordes of Mordor. And the most powerful being in Middle-earth is this being right here. It's the Witch King of Angamore. Uh, this is him up here. Uh, he is riding a Nazgul, uh, th these like dragon-like beings. He's kind of like the Antichrist. Uh, there's actually a prophecy um, in the Lord of the Rings that, he's, that says there's not a human that could kill him. There's not a, it says there's not a man that could kill him. And so what happens is he swoops down in this battle and he actually just lifts up King Theoden, who's on his big white steed. He's the, the mighty king of the riders of Rohan and just throws his horse and it lands on Theoden. And so he's getting up and he's about to destroy King Theoden. When, man, can you see this? This, this little figure steps in front with a sword and he kind of laughs and, and, and ends up through a series, he pulls out his big ball and chain and just with one hit destroys the shield of this warrior. And then he walks up and he lifts up this warrior by the throat and he's laughing and he says, don't you know that no man can kill me? And, and you see the, the warrior's eyes just bugging out because he's about to choke this warrior to death. And right at that moment, Little Mary, the hobbit, comes and boink, and pops him in the back of the knee with a tiny little dagger, but the dagger was supernatural. It was an elven dagger, and he, he totally drops the warrior, and at that moment, this warrior rips off the helmet. Remember, he said, no man could kill me. Rips off the helmet, lets down her long hair, and it's the young niece of the king, and she goes, I am no man. <laughs> and uh, in that moment, he goes, and, like shrivels and like dies. And it's awesome. And if there's a lesson 
to the whole Lord of the Rings, it's this. You're, you're, you're marveling at Legolas, the elf with the bow that can shoot anything and kind of surfs down an Oliphant's trunk. Some of you guys remember that. And, and, and Aragorn and his sword and Gimli and his spear. And, and you see these massive armies. But the moral of the Lord of the Rings is it's not through a man's strength or the size of an army that we overcome evil. It's what's inside. And the hero of the Lord of the Rings are these little hobbits known as halflings who are the only ones that can actually carry the ring because they're not corrupted by its power. And the one that, that takes out the, 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 the most strong witch king is this pure-hearted woman who does that out of love. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Guys, I'm not saying guys, so don't be guys. No, stomp around in your boots. I drive a four by four. But, but, but my point is this, is that Paul is saying this. He says, I'm not, my power doesn't come from being sent from man. Or it's not because I made myself into something. He goes, I'm from Jesus Christ. And I wanna tell you, if you're gonna be free in life, you've gotta understand that your life doesn't come from the stamp of approval of man. It doesn't come from what you can make yourself out of, that you will be free when you learn that you're rooted and grounded and sent in the power of Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse six, if you'll jump there with me, we'll come back to the other verses. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. You see, there are so many gospels being preached in the world today. There are so many distortions of the truth. There's so many cults that are, are telling us we've gotta earn our way into heaven, you've gotta do this. There's so many different other religions, but there's even other gospels in the church that are, are telling us, you know, if, if you just do this, if you just abide this way, if you just act this way. And Paul's saying, listen, there's only one gospel, and it's the gospel of grace. You can't earn your salvation. This isn't a religion. The gospel is this, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Bible says this, how do you get saved? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not by any works or a man could boast. And he's saying, don't believe any other thing. Don't believe any other thing. And for me, as a pastor, I've been brokenhearted to talk to way too many Christians who have spent years in church, and I say, are you saved? Are you gonna spend eternity in heaven? They say, oh, pastor, I try to be a good Christian. And I said, if that's how you think you're gonna be saved, then you don't understand the gospel. Because you're not called to put your faith in what you do. You're called to put your faith in what he's already done for you. And so Paul's saying, don't be deceived, but listen to what he goes on to say. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please 
people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now here is one of the great problems that we have in Christianity that keeps us in bondage is that we enter in through faith, but then we spend our whole Christian life trying to please people. So much of people's Christian life is trying to please people. If I just look this way, if I just act this way, if I, I mean, there's some churches that say you have to dress this certain way or you can't do this and there's all these prohibitions that aren't even in the Bible. And so we spend our whole life and, and even that, so many times we're spending our life just trying to win the approval of someone, trying to win the approval of our mother, trying to win the approval of our father, trying to win the approval of our friend or our boss. And Paul is saying this, you can't be, you can't, Live for the approval of man and the approval of Jesus. Let me tell you today, brother and sister, the key to living a free life is to live for the approval of one. And his name is Jesus. Let me ask you, whose approval are you living for? You see, we all go into these different roles. So many of us, the reason we do things is because of the role we were put in in our family of origin. I introduced this several weeks ago. This is called family systems theory. Uh, came really to the forefront in 1988, but it's, I, I think it's, it's not a, 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 a biblical truth, but I think it's a helpful understanding as you see how people play out the label that was given to them in their family. So here are the seven stereotypical labels. We've got the scapegoat. This is the person in the family that's always getting in trouble. This is the black sheep. Then you've got the victims. They're often, they're the ones who have chemical dependency. They're the ones that, that uh, they're, 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 they're people are always making excuses for them. And you can't have the victim if you don't have the chief enabler, the person who actually empowers the addiction, empowers the dysfunction. And so you have the chief enabler. Over here you have the family hero. This is the one that's always performing so high and their role in the family is to take care of everyone and they make the whole family look good. And then you have the mascot. They're the one that's always making people laugh. They provide the comedic relief when things are going bad. They're the crack up. And then you have the lost child. Where are they? We don't know, they're lost. And most of us fall into one of these roles. And the problem is, this is the identity you take on, and then you project that identity into your school, or you project that identity into your workplace. You even live out that identity in the church. And God's saying, no, Paul, an apostle, not from men, men and women, I don't care what label was placed on you, I want you to take that off today. Because you don't get your identity from your parents, from your brothers or sisters, you don't get it from your high school class. You don't get it from your workplace. You're not from men, nor are you by men. Well, I'm just gonna try to be the hero child and that's what I'm gonna live out. And then you live under a yoke of performance or you live under a yoke of your label. And that is not what you're called to. And so Paul says this, but from Christ. I get my identity from Christ. And when you start learning to live from your identity from Christ, you end up free. Some of you thought when I started a series on freedom in Christ that I was just gonna tell you how to not be a cocaine addict. And although that's really good, there's so many more bondages we live in. And one of the bondages is the label that we received in our family. 
Scripture goes on to say this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. What are you supposed to stand firm in? You're supposed to stand firm in your identity in Christ. Here's how I would paraphrase verse one where Paul says, I'm not from men. This is the Robert paraphrase. I am what I am, not from or by man, but by Jesus. I am what I am, not from man or by man, but from Jesus. Let me just ask you if I could follow you around for the week. Like if that was my assignment, and actually I was going to be with you. I was going to be in the back seat of your car. I was going to stand beside you when you ate your meals. I was going to stand behind you in your cubicle. I was going to stand behind you and, and you know, and the outside students when you're eating your, your meal. And if I could just watch you, what would I say after one week is influencing your speech, your actions? If I could like have a mind reading device and I could look at your thoughts, where would I say your thoughts are coming from? Would they be coming from man or by man or by Jesus? I wanna tell you the greatest freedom is when you lock in on following Jesus and being influenced by Jesus from being sent from Jesus. Now, what, where we could go off from this, here's Galatians 1 verse 2. It says, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Uh, years ago, uh, a soul group got this phrase right here and made millions of dollars saying, we are family. I got all my brothers with me. I got all my sisters with me. Right? Um, read the Bible, right? You can come up with some great music. Uh, what, what, I, what I'm not saying is that you're supposed to live not caring about other people. What I'm not saying is just go off and be a rebel, right? No, Paul actually says, hey, with the brothers and with the sisters. He's not, every generation, this is another part of the American motif, is then we swing to the other side and say, so just be the rugged individualist. So my parents' generation, it was John Wayne, right? I just come in and talk slow and kill whoever gets in my way, you know? And, then it was Rambo, right? Then it was Maverick, Top Gun, right? I am dangerous, Iceman, you know? And um, that, that, that is a big, it was, then it was for the next generation after me, it was Jason Bourne, right? And I don't know, young generation, maybe it's Chloe Frazier from Uncharted or um, every generation in, uh, in America, <laughs> you just slapped Chloe on the leg right there. I'm sure that's not where you got your name. Um, Every generation also idealizes this rugged individualist that doesn't care about anyone else. And that's also not what we're supposed to swing to. Paul is saying this, like I, I actually live from Jesus in a loving relationship with the people around me. And so you're free to not only give love but receive love. Then he says this, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ 
who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. If you're gonna live in this new operating system of freedom, you gotta understand whenever you're trying to, to run a new system, it takes some kind of energy, it takes some kind of fuel. Uh, there's an interesting thing about my car life. No matter what car I get, in life, it always leaks fuel, uh, and it always leaks fluids. Uh, that, that is just like part, I don't know why, I think it's actually just, I think sometimes things happen to me just so I have good sermon illustrations. Um, so for you that don't know much about cars, this is called oil. Um, and, and so Paul says this, grace and peace. The operating system that we run on as followers of Jesus is one of grace and peace. Do you know your, your car can't make it without fluids? Your, your, your car can't make it without oil. What does oil do? Oil keeps the, 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 the metal pieces, the gears from grinding together, and, and oil actually keeps a car from overheating. Uh, here's what I know. This world is hard. The Bible actually says in this world you will have trouble. And so what happens is most people, things get hard and they blow their lid, right? Have you ever, have you ever gotten someone on a bad day and, and, and you just ask them, you're like, hey, do you have any vanilla ice cream? They're like, no, I don't. And you're like, hoo hoo, wow. Bad day, right? Um, we end up blowing our lid. God has given us the oil of his presence. The Bible talks about his presence being like oil. And also the oil of his word. Uh, whenever I start stressing, you know, here's the thing. I am not okay. I have made a decision in life that I'm not okay to not live in peace. Have you made that decision yet? I am not okay. Now, my worry will come to my mind. Anxiety will come to my mind. But I am determined to not stay there. Do you know that's in your inheritance? That's part of freedom in Christ is you do not have to live with a mind of worry or anxiety. The Bible actually says in Romans 8, it says the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and life and peace. So you actually have an inheritance to live free in your mind of anxiety and worry. Now here's the, the problem. Some of you are like, well, I don't blow up at people. Life gets tough but I don't blow up at people. But what the thing is, is you turn the anxiety or the anger internal. And so what does that do? Right, that gives us all kinds of problems. Keeps us up at night so we don't sleep well. It makes our blood pressure rise. It gives us heart problems. It, your body starts breaking down, right? Because you it, say you don't blow up on people, but you turn it into yourself. The, the, the answer is the oil of his peace. God actually says you don't have to be anxious about anything, but in, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, right? Submit your request to God, and the peace of God that transcends all human understanding will guard your heart and your mind. you got to have oil guarding the, 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 the mechanics of your car, or it will blow up. You need the peace of God. The other thing you need is grace. What is grace? I, I liken grace to gasoline, okay? Um, you cannot go somewhere in a car without gasoline. I've tried it. Any, any of you like edge livers? Uh, you're, you're like, 
I know that there should only be 20 miles. Like, well, first of all, you know you live on the edge if your fuel light always comes on. Because that means you're not filling up your tank until the last moment. And then you're like, I, I know it's supposed to be 20 miles, but I can get 21. I, I can get 22, right? And, but that's how many of us are living our spiritual lives. And, and I wish I had like even a better thing to say, but that was it. <laughs> uh, you, here, here, here is what great, I love this definition of grace because some people think, well, I go out and sin, but there's grace. No, grace is the, the power and the fuel to do the will and the work of God. That's what empowering grace is. It's actually the, the, the power and the fuel to do the will and work of God. So let me, let me throw it this way. If you don't feel grace in your life, it's probably because you're not living according to the will of God. Because there's always grace to do what God calls us to do. Um, so let me say it this way. Uh, 46% of Americans just said in the latest survey that they hate their jobs. They hate their jobs. 40, that's almost half of Americans. You know what I would say to that? Then you're not in the will of God. Because God, the scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, I'm not saying it's gonna just be all happy, slappy, and everything is gonna be fun all the time in your job, but what I do believe is if you will align yourself with the purposes of God, he will give you fulfilling work because work is not a product of the fall. God put work in the garden pre-fall, so he has created you, he's custom crafted you to do something meaningful, to bring about blessing, to bring about his creativity and his presence and love into society and culture, and so if you're in a job you hate, I'm pretty sure that you're not doing what he created you to do. Let's, let's keep reading this. Um, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself to you for our sins. Here, here's, let me just give you three essential phrases for living in the grace and peace of God. Uh, number one, you gotta understand that God gave himself for our sins. Number two, the will of God, and number three, to whom be the glory, okay? So through three, those are three phrases from this. So, so what am I saying from this? Um, number one, here's a great question to ask in relation to God gave himself for our sins. Am I trying to make myself right with God? You, you, are not, you will not live in peace or you're not living in grace if you're constantly saying, are my good deeds outweighing my bad deeds? If you're constantly saying, am I being a good Christian? Because you're not living in the freedom of the identity he's already given you through what he did instead of what you're trying to work for. Did you get that? Thank you. Um, if, if I'm trying to earn my salvation, then I'll never be at peace because it's impossible. If I'm trying to earn my standing with God, I'll never feel grace because I can't. It's purely by what he has imputed to me. So while I was still a sinner, 
Christ died for me and he chose me, not because I'm so great. And then he is the one who says, you're a holy nation. You're, you're a righteous priesthood. You're my special possession. Let, let's move on to this. Um, here's a second question to ask yourself. If you're not feeling grace and peace, am I aligned with the will of God? Am I aligned with the will of God? Because God always gives grace to do his will. But many times we're not experiencing his grace or peace because we're actually not doing his will. You're trying to do something apart from him. And so you don't experience his power. You're not experiencing his strength. Here's the last one. Here's the last question to ask yourself. Am I living for my glory or God's glory? So many times we're so angry in life because it's all about us getting credit. It's all about us getting the accolades. It, but you get free when you make life about glorifying him. It's the most freeing thing to just say, God, I'm coming to work today to bring you glory, to point to you. I, I want to tell you, and, and there's numerous people in here that you end up speaking. Man, if it's all about how you come across to people, you live with a yoke. You live with performance on you. But if I get up here, I, I, I learned this years ago, to get up and say, man, all that matters when I step off a stage is, is God pleased? So that's the first question I ask. God, did I please you? And this is how I live when I'm even speaking. I'm trying to think Jesus is the one behind the pulpit and I'm just pointing at him. And my goal is you to see how beautiful he is, how powerful he is, how strong he is. And when I do that, then my eyes are off me and I can be free. Are you doing that in your workplace, in your schools? Let's keep reading Galatians 1:13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That is so human nature, right? Whatever we are. Paul's like, man, I am the best Jew. I can out-Jew any of you, right? He, he's, he's like, man, I, my tassels on my robe are longer than yours right? My Pharisee hat is bigger than yours, right? You followed 10 laws yesterday. I followed 20, right? That, that is so us. We build our identity by looking at others, right? Anyone guilty of that? And we, we, that, that goes on in every profession. It goes on. Students, we're always looking at others. And he said, man, that's what I was doing. And he goes, and I was the man. I was, I was doing it. I was amazing, Watch this next part. It says, but when God, but when God. He was saying, man, I was all about man. I was all competing. I was all trying to do the rules. I was all trying to follow this. And it says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. Let me just pause for a second. This is one of the irrefutable proofs that life begins and God is intimately involved with us in the womb. God set me apart from the womb. Uh, hear, hear this. Um, if you've had an abortion, which tons of people in churches have, there is grace for you. There's forgiveness for you. There's love for you. We love you. We accept you. And 
know that abortion, church, please know that abortion breaks the heart of God. Why? Because God is knitting us together. The scripture says he's knitting us together in our mother's womb. And what if Paul would have been aborted? We would have missed half of the New Testament. Praise God that he survived his mother's womb. And it says this, but God who set me apart in my mother's womb. What does that mean? God had a purpose for you when you were in your mother's womb. And it wasn't to be like me. Like God didn't need more than one Robert Herbert, right? He wants you to be you. So he said, but who, and, and watch this, this is so awesome. Who set me apart from a mother's womb, called me by his grace, his strength, your, your whole life, you, it, might, it might have felt challenging up until this point, but if you lock in on what you're set apart for, you're gonna step into the divine flow of grace. It's like, I don't know if you've ever been to a hotel with a lazy river. It's so cool. You get down there and you think you're just gonna relax in a nice pool and all of a sudden you're just taken away. That is grace. When you're being moved, even when you're not doing anything, all you did was get in it. Get in the lazy river of God's grace. And he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Okay, so here's a question. I did this in the last service. If you are of Jewish descent, which we love people of Jewish descent, by the way, I'll be going back to Israel this summer. We, are, we stand with the people of Israel. We stand with Jewish people. If you are of Jewish descent, would you raise your hand right now? That's, okay, that's awesome. You're going to be blessed. Okay, if you're not of Jewish descent, will you raise your hand right now? Okay, so that was everyone but five people. Praise God for Paul, or there would only be five people sitting in this tent right now. Let me just say that again. Praise God that Paul did what he was created to do even though no one had ever done it before. Did you follow me? Because you five would be pretty lonely right now. What am I saying? Paul didn't just try to do what everyone else had done because everyone else had just done what they had seen people do. And God had something new for him to live out. And can I say, God has something new and different for you that's different than anyone else who's ever lived on the earth. So that's why we don't just copy someone else. Because if Paul would have just copied someone, none of us would be here except five people. But because he was willing to hear God say, do something completely different, like, yeah, I've been, it, it, you'll be able to back it up in my word. It'll never contradict the Bible because God was always saying that he was gonna make his glory known among the nations. But for the first time, God calls a Jewish leader and says, now I have a unique call for you. Go out here and go to these different nations and take the gospel. And because of that, I'm here and you're here. What does it mean to be free? It means that you don't look to your right and your left and say, well, that's the person I wanna be most like, or that's the person that gets the most credit, or if I just act like that person, then I'll make a bunch of money, or if I just act like that person, they get a lot of popularity. No, be who you are called to be, set apart from the womb by the grace of Jesus, and you will bring about something that's never been brought about on earth. I thought you were gonna be so much more excited. 
because here I'm taking, because some of you, you lived in your family and you had a hero child and that wasn't you. And so you've always felt inadequate. And you know what? You were never called to measure up to that hero child. God called you to be you. He wanted you to be you. And you are the most wonderful you that you could ever imagine. If you'll be the you he created you to be. He says this. I'm almost done here. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. What does that mean? He said, I went out into the desert. How are you going to find who you're called to be? You need to go and get along with God. You got to spend time with God. You got to get with him. Where did he go? He says, I didn't go out and just hang out with all the popular apostles. Okay, I, I didn't just find the celebrity apostles and go, if I, could just be, if I can just follow Peter's Instagram, then I can just be like Peter, right? And we're the same, right? I could ride the same camel and eat the same falafel. And no, he was like, how am I gonna find out who I am? He went off to the desert. And he said, I'm gonna, and, and, now, did he live in the desert forever? No, he came back. But you got, here's the key for you being free. You gotta get along with Jesus. You get along with Jesus and then he stamps you and he gives you your specific calling and then you can be you. Man, this reminds me of what happened to me just in, in one aspect of my life. I'll finish with this story. Um, two months ago, I had the craziest week ever. I had five cars break down on me. You, I dare any of you to try to make that happen. It's... <laughs> Um, three were mine, so three were my family's. We have four drivers in the family. We had three cars, and all three broke down. So then I borrowed my parent, my, my in-law's car, and it broke down on me. I was bummed. So then I went to buy a, a, a car for my son, okay? I went to buy a car for my son, and I'm driving it, and I'm telling the guy who's sitting next to me as I'm driving his truck about what happened, and I'm actually on the, on the phone with my mechanic and he's, we're, we're talking about the car and he's telling me about all these lights and I'm like, this is great. And so I look at the guy and I was like, yeah, I want this car. At that moment, he looked at me. He was like, are you cursed? I was like, I am not cursed. I said, Jesus took the curse on my behalf. And then I shared the gospel with him. Um, but I had five cars break down on me. And, and so I, I, I ended up asking Joe Ewan on our board. He was in town, the prophetic minister. I was like, what, what is going on? Because this is, this is too crazy. And he's like, you're in transition. Um, <laughs> he's not from the United States. And, um, and so I, I go on a retreat that week. Okay, so I go on a spiritual retreat. I was so thankful to get to leave because I'm like, what in the world am I doing? And I don't have a car to drive anyway. So I was in Colorado, and I'm on this, I talked about it last week, this soul shepherding retreat. And one of the things that the spiritual uh, counselors on the, on the retreat said is, you can't make God do something. You can't make God do something. So he says, what we do is we set aside alone time to be with God, but you can't make him talk. You can't make him do something. But if you make time, then God can do something when he wants and what he wants. 
So I was like, man, I'm going to go. I went for this hike, you know, got alone with the Lord. It was good. God was doing great stuff. And then I get back, and they'd given us five hours. So I kind of ran out of stuff. And so I saw a hot tub by itself, no one in it. I was like, sitting in the hot tub with Jesus. So I go and sit in the hot tub, and I'm just kind of relaxing. And all of a sudden, I feel like the Holy Spirit's starting to nudge me, like, I want to talk to you about this car situation. I'm like, I don't want to talk about the cars. (laughs) Like, that's the five broken down cars. This has not been a good one. I don't want to talk about them. And I'm like, okay, but you know, you can't make God do something. He wants to talk about cars. And all of a sudden, I have this just like flash in my mind, an image flash in my mind of a red Jeep. And it wasn't just any red Jeep. It was the red Jeep I drove. Some of you guys last year saw the movie we made called Alaska Jack. And so my, my brother-in-law is a film producer, and so we made a children's movie. And he said, Robert, I want you to play Alaska Jack, which is this kind of uh, adventure, uh, Indiana Jones-ish kind of uh, Christian, Christian hero. And in it, like Alaska Jack's hiking through the mountains. It's shot in the mountains with his friend. And then they come across a, a group of kids who have been captured and being held captive. And they go on this, this daring rescue mission. And they, they're able to rescue this one child. And at the campfire, they're playing guitar and singing. And then Alaska Jack shares the gospel with her. And she receives it. And then she goes. And they all go to rescue these kids. And then you're on this wild. Uh, this wild chase scene where there's these these uh, big uh, what are the Can-Am what are those called like dune buggies chasing me in the red jeep and we didn't have a stuntman so we're I'm like ah! driving this red jeep and through like through these crazy roads and the Can-Ams are flying and and I see that red jeep in my mind and that red jeep belonged to my parents it's like their 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 old red jeep that they have in the mountains and I have this thought like. I'm supposed to drive that red Jeep. And immediately I go, I can't drive that red Jeep. Like it's all jacked up, big tires, and, and, and what are people gonna think? Like you can't be a pastor and drive like a big, fun red Jeep. Like people think I'm going through a midlife crisis. <laughs> because where I come from, pastors drove serious cars. And, and really more, where I come from, most pastors drive like trucks, like just a serious utilitarian truck. And, and so I was like, you can drive a white truck, but you can't drive a red Jeep with knobby tires, like lights that you, you just, you can't do it. And, I, and that night I call home and my daughter gets on the phone and she's like, dad, I, and I didn't say anything. And she goes, dad, the weirdest thing, I have seen so many Jeeps today. And she goes, I just have this thought, you need to be in a Jeep, dad. And I'm like, what? And, and so you're supposed to write this thing of what God's done in your heart on this retreat. And I start writing and I start realizing, oh my gosh, this red Jeep is prophetic because God took me, who's an actor, and gave me this role. My best friend said, Robert, you've got to play Alaska Jack because this is you. And as the character, like I'm on an adventure with a friend, I'm hiking through the mountains. I love to hike. And I find people that are captured and we go on this daring rescue mission. And that's like my passion in life is to rescue people out of captivity. And we sit at the campfire and I sing Amazing Grace and I share the gospel and I love that. And then I end up being chased in a red Jeep and I'm like risking my life in a red Jeep. And I just start crying because I'm like, God is setting me free to be a pastor like I'm called to be. I don't have to be a pastor like I've always seen or I don't have to. And, and, and I remember telling Kendall, I was like, man, 
I, I feel like I'm supposed to, so I asked my parents if I can buy this, and he goes, oh, I can see it now. He goes, everyone's gonna come up and say, Kendall, is Robert in a midlife crisis? And he goes, no, I'm gonna say, nope, he just came out of one. Thank you, bro. So you'll see me in a red Jeep now with big tires. And, and every time I get in it, I just feel like God loves me the way he made me. I don't have to be someone else. Now, before everyone, everyone's scrupulously taking notes, okay, what car do I want? What do, what, what's my spirit car? And uh, that's, not, that's not the point, right? 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I was driving a flashy sports car and God said, give it away because you're putting your identity in it. So there's seasons and times for everything. But what I loved was God was saying, Robert, you don't have to be something that you thought a pastor would be. You need to be the pastor that I've called you to be. And you need to be you. You are free to be you. And that's what I love about the book of Galatians, that when we're in Christ and we're living out how he's called us and we're living fueled by his grace and walking in his peace, then you can be the you that God dreamed about when he puts you in your mother's womb and you can be the you that brings the answers that this world so desperately needs. Why don't we stand up?